there's just this whole system that's set up to be racist <laughs> and it's capitalism <laughs> but it's like under this whole guise of like if you just work hard enough you will become successful welcome back listeners welcome to enraged podcast hey queen hey queen how are you doing? I'm doing well. I've got my lighting on point right now, so. I know. <laughs> Feeling pretty good. We had a little lighting adjustment. We did. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing very well. <laughs> I've had a very long meeting, mm. so now I'm back in my space. I'm fine. We're ready to go. have got a great shawl on. You're good. That's right. Yes. We have a really cool set of topics today. Yes, we do. So we're going to talk about Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. That was our book club for this month. Mm-hmm. What else are we going to talk about? Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about Alok in the interview that they had on JVN's podcast, Getting Curious, which we've talked about a few different times, but if you haven't checked it out, you absolutely should, yes. um, especially the one that uh, we're talking about today, which I can't remember the title of it, but it's with Alok. Yeah, I think it's called like Moving Past the Gender Binary. Mm-hmm. Something magical like that. Yes. We're also, this is a stacked episode, but listeners, please know all of these things connect. We're also going to talk about International Human Rights Day, which is is Thursday, um, December 10th. Feminist issues are human rights issues. Human rights issues are feminist issues, which is essentially the entire topic of our podcast today. Yeah. And I mean, we can go into facts and stuff about it once we get past our, uh, get past, once we finish our rant. Because we're not going to get past it. Because <laughs> we aren't getting past it. So Hannah and I have been talking about what our rant could be today, because that's how we like to start our episodes off. Which is how Enrage started. That's true. It is. It's like this, it's like the sweet spot of how our communication about feminist issues started but then we said how are we going to be productive through this <laughs> we have to have facts and figures to support our <laughs> that's right um well i mean i think that one of the best places to start for this little little here rant is to talk about social media and adrian marie brown which we will get to pleasure activism let's just get into it okay so the amazing part about enraged Mm -hmm. we've had listens in 12 countries truth lots of people are listening which is so cool and so exciting Mm -hmm. and we officially like want to continue to say please contact us please yes hold us accountable please give us education if you want to about what we're doing that maybe is not aligned with intersectionality or, or what we're hoping to navigate in our discussions. Um, and we've had a lot of people contact us. Yeah, we have. Which With is really cool things. And you had your friend who 
you know, brought up one of the things that I think was really interesting for us as like mental health professionals to be in a space around um, where, where we were, you know, using different words like crazy and psycho and not thinking about the impact that that might have on folks who are experiencing mental health. And I think that that's a really awesome point around language that you and I use that is not inclusive at all. And it's just like what people do oftentimes just chatting with their friend, right? We say things and we don't really think about it. But then that's the entire point of enraged is shouldn't we be thinking about things? How do we think about things differently? And it was so cool for um, my friend Keely to call us in like that and say like, she was talking to me. She said it so just patiently and lovingly said, I totally get it, but you guys might want to, you might want to think about this particular point that you're making. And I think that part around calling in is really important, Mm -hmm. especially to us because this has to be a learning opportunity for everybody, right? We're all learning together. um, And some folks are at different places. And Adrian Marie Brown says, you don't have to be everything in this movement and in this work, you're gonna have your place. And that's awesome. And (laughs) And. (laughs) we have seen and experienced people policing us, our language, making suggestions um, to us around things we've already done and included. Um, We had one person say that we shouldn't be in this space at all Mm -hmm. um, and then recommended several articles or books that we had already mentioned and already talked about. So, you know, I think it's a really interesting place around like activist policing Mm -hmm. to kind of get into this into this um, conversation around like, are you where I'm at? And if not, you're doing it wrong. Well, we're all at different places and how do we be in this place together versus you're either in it or you're not in it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what you and I were talking about is like thinking through the lens of what Adrienne Marie Brown talks about around pleasure activism and how do we like build this sense of joy around what we're doing and try to bring that joy throughout the communities that we're you know a part of and stepping into and um being in spaces where conversations can happen so that we're all like growing together and i think that that's like one of the weird things about social media and always has been a weird thing about it where people can kind of just throw things out there and then step away without really having any sort of conversation around it, um, which isn't like a way to find joy and isn't a way to like build community or build conversation about all of the really like hard things that people are trying to talk through. And where their position is in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't mean you're not responsible or accountable. And we've talked about that. And listeners, please send us a message, send us an email, write in, like call us, whatever you can do to continue to hold not only yourself, but us accountable. And how is it also a form of white supremacy and policing when activists or people who wanna be in the space of being different or better or learning and improving, you know, why is it that we've had more people who are activists 
policing what we're doing versus folks who are not in the movement or not maybe interested in learning more, their approach to us is more community focused, which is really interesting, I think. Yeah, it is interesting. And it's not about who knows the most. No, it's not. It's about growing together and like not creating barriers to people having conversations, not creating spaces that don't feel productive, you know, because I think that you can be in disagreement. I think that you can have these conversations and you can have feelings about them and you can be angry if you want to be angry and you can be frustrated if you want to be frustrated, but throwing things out into the world without any sort of conversation or accountability around those things is not useful in terms of changing. And I want to be in community with people. Mm -hmm. We have, you and I have this amazing conversation with young um, women last week. And one of the people we were talking to, she said, but why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And we were able to have this really cool conversation around accountability and how we can be better as white women. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and why isn't that important? Like, why isn't that an important part of the, the conversation to get white people, um, Mm -hmm. motivated and why isn't that our job to motivate other white people? Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, I just want to continue to encourage our listeners and community members to please reach out to us and let's be in this together. Let's not just police each other's language. Let's really be in community if we're going to move forward together because everyone's Everyone's place is important. Yeah. And we're going to use pleasure activism for our next book club. (laughs) So get ready. Please get ready. Also, this rant is not soups ranty. Mm, That's true. I have managed my like annoyance and frustration with people (laughs) being rude. (laughs) But, you know, I want to call out my own white fragility and I don't know how you've thought about this lately but my own white fragility around people like telling me I'm doing something wrong and I'm like well you I don't say that but you know in my head I'm like well then I'm not going to do it but that's white fragility right and so how do we get feedback sit with it be uncomfortable and then really pull it apart and say like yeah I'd love to talk with you about this thing um that's part of the work yeah I mean, I think I experience it, but it's it's like in a different different side of the spectrum where I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to do something. We have to fix it. <laughs> we have to write this person and figure out what we did wrong and then take this post down immediately because it's terrible. But that isn't necessarily the most useful thing if we're not exploring where it's coming from and like what's behind it, whether or not it's something productive or something meant to create a division within activism. Yeah. And, and you and I watched this really cool, like intergenerational feminist talk with Adrienne Marie Brown and Angela Davis, mm-hmm. where they were talking about, you know, sometimes in the movement around anti-racism and equity, there's this really high bar to get in and then really low standards once you're in the cl- like club. Mm-hmm. But why wouldn't it be low standards, they were saying, and high expectations as you continue to grow 
And I've just been really thinking about, I want to show people the growth that we have. I want to be clear. I want it to say like, yep, two years ago, we did this thing and here's what we've learned. And we've moved in this other direction versus thinking we've been totally perfect and like arrived this whole time, which is not true. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Our book club, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like we should talk before we dive in. I mean, I think saying that our, um, I don't know if vibe is the right thing. Normally we do this with our is blank feminist issue, right? And so for today, we decided to go a little bit different and say that human rights issues are feminist issues or equal feminist issues um, because it is Human Rights Day on the day that this episode is dropping. And we've been, you know, talking back and forth about the podcast and how we pose questions and thinking, you know, is coming at this from a, is blank a feminist issue the right way to go? Or should we be saying, is this a human rights issue? Because it feels like a lot of stuff is. And I think we're still like exploring that, but yes. And all of that directly ties to our learning that we experienced from Ibram Kendi's book. And I would just say listeners, if you're like, oh, I'm going to listen to this podcast and I'll totally understand this book because they're going to talk about that's not going to (laughs) happen. This book is like a chunk and a half. We're going to have to like digest it and come back to it because it is a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It's extremely powerful. It is extremely powerful. Can we first talk about why saying anti-racist? Because I think, you know, you and I are in a space where we know that, but we have folks that might be a part of this who are like, what does that mean? Am I that? Well, what does that, like, what does that mean for you? It's one of the things I took away from reading, listening, I guess I should say. (laughs) Um, And for those of you who are listening to it, it's read by the author. So it's pretty very cool. Uh, is that there isn't any like in between you're either actively working towards racism or you're actively working towards anti-racism, but you can't be neutral in the conversation around racism because if you're being neutral, you're being racist. Yes. And I'm going to beat you to this quote because we're looking at the same document, mm-hmm. but Ibram Kendi says there is no in-between safe place of not racist. So, I mean, I think that speaks directly to what you're saying. And my takeaway, one of my primary like foundational change takeaways is in every single moment, moment to moment, you have to actively choose to be anti-racist. Um, and Ibram really talks about, you know, you can go to one meeting and be anti-racist in your policy recommendation and then just be quiet in the next meeting and be, you know, complicit and, and supporting a racist policy or narrative. And so, you know, you don't get to this place where I'm like, Hannah, I'm an anti-racist, um, in this moment, because the next moment I could, I could be doing something that's actively harmful. One of the things that I went back to that I thought was, well, I guess a lot of what I thought about is we all 
we all are in spaces where we can make like these choices to be racist or anti-racist. Um, and in all of that, the things that have the most power are racist systems and racist industries. And so these bigger things that are bigger than just one person. And that one of the things that um, is a part of American culture is this kind of this way that industry and structure and government has tricked people into thinking that individuals are responsible for like these really big issues that impact people from a racial perspective when really it's the bigger things that are creating those and I think the thing that's been the most impactful for me and all of it is when he talks about capitalism being racism. And it was, I think I told you this, it's one of those things that I always kind of felt <laughs> inside of me where it's like, this doesn't really feel right. The way that all this is going where the rich get richer and, you know, people who are, you know, quote unquote, poor get poorer. There's just this whole system that's set up to be racist <laughs> and it's capitalism. <laughs> but it's like under this whole guise of like, if you just work hard enough, you will become successful. Like that, that's just what it is. But it's not. That's not reality. And it's that's my biggest, my biggest takeaway. And I mean, I think it's so it is, you know, just like with hood feminism. I continue to be in this place where I'm like, I cannot believe I get to hear this book and hear this information. And it is a lot and it's a lot to digest. It's a lot um, to think about and it's a lot of accountability. Um, you know, I often, and I don't do it all the time, Caitlin, but I often think about, okay, well, how am I going to do this in an anti-racist way like how am I sitting in this meeting or how am I sitting in this conversation and like what would be the anti-racist part of what I could do and I say I don't do it all the time because that's a very conscious decision I've had to make after listening and, and engaging with this material and I think you know how do we think about this not only as individuals and then community, but like large scale. After you and I were talking about the capitalist thing, I remember just thinking like, yeah, so then I'm not going to buy things. And then I'm like, but I need things. And how do I do it in a way that's practicing anti-racism? And there's just so much around um, how embedded active racism, racism is in almost all of our systems, institutions, and industries. Yeah, and I think one of the quotes that I really, um, you know, as I was trying to think of what to put up on our social for today is a quote from him, which I didn't end up putting on there. Um, Americans have long been trained to see the deficiencies in people rather than institutional racism and structural racism and systemic racism are redundant. Racism itself is institutional, structural, and systemic. And so it's just like, it's interesting to live in this world that's built around racism. And I think, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about earlier today was how <laughs> it's not, and it's not just America, like 
America is very much at the core of what we talk about and it it really is a hub for racism and there's this whole thing that we haven't even gotten to where we're talking like colonialism and like what white people have done across the globe to really create this system that is aimed at racism and capitalism. <laughs> Which is so much. Which is so much. And I, you know, I just think about all of the, I'm kind of constantly amazed at how, you know, we have listeners who really are learning with us. I think that is like one of my favorite things that I've ever been able to experience is learning with people in this, in this way. And, you know, you and I have been able to have conversations with people that we didn't normally have conversations with. Like mm-hmm. maybe they were like peripherally in our lives. And now we're like having conversations and doing really cool, like, Oh my God, that happened to you. And that's like, Oh, interesting. Yeah. And thinking about even really talks about denial being kind of like, the backbone of racism and it's undeniable when you engage with this material and really begin to learn from Ibram how he pull and how he pulls apart not only his experience as a scholar and as a teacher but he goes all the way back to kindergarten and preschool and to his parents and and how systems are embedded with racist ideologies and structures And as white people, our entire way of operating is denying. Yeah, and it's embedded in a system that was created for us, (laughs) you know, back to the beginning. So it's growing up on these parallel, but not necessarily intersecting paths where it's like the different things that we hear, it's like, oh yeah, that kind of actually does apply for white people, you know? if you work hard enough, you probably will end up having some amount of success because the system is set up for you, (laughs) you know, versus, and not to say that, you know, other communities won't experience that as well, because that's not true, but it's a weird space to be in to like constantly be recognizing that the experience from the time that you're born really is based on skin color. And lots of other things too. And I think we'll get into that in a second, but truly our experiences end up being driven by that a lot. I think the other thing that I, you and I talked about that we both kind of took away from engaging with um, this book is really just thinking about there's so much to this book, but to contextualize this world that we live in, particularly in the United States, but in industrialized nations, really thinking about the context is built off of racism. Yeah. The context of how we function um, and the function of white people in particular in the system is to deny that it exists. And, you know, we're going to talk about Jonathan Van Ness's podcast and we've brought up previously Ashley Marie Preston, who's an activist um, and anti-racist in this movement. And she really talks about like white supremacy will eat its own young. Like it does not just target um, communities of color, although it absolutely does. But if you are outside of that dominant idealized white experience, you are also experiencing the repercussions of white supremacy. And so 
this absolutely impacts every person, whether you're benefiting or not. Yeah. It's like a really intense visual. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean, it's a great way to describe it. It's just soups. a lot. I know, but it is, it's true. It is true. Well, what we were thinking about with what you brought up earlier around, like, should we be saying, is this a feminist issue? Because what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Right. And, and you and I both were listening to Jonathan Van Ness's podcast, Getting Curious, where um, Alok, who is a performer, um, gender activist, was talking about, and they opened kind of this question around what feminine part of you had to die to make it in this world. And one of the things Alok says in that podcast that really stuck with me is, and with you, I know, um, is that feminism, what feminism got wrong is thinking about this binary and women being impacted by patriarchy mm-hmm. um, and, and living in that binary versus thinking about all of these gender expressions. And Alok talks about there are as many gender expressions as there are people in the world. Mm-hmm. And how are those expressions policed differently um, depending on how you're presenting. And I think for us, we continue to be in this place around like, how does that connect to anti-racism? And are we contributing to this binary thought process? Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things that I got from listening to the podcast is like, is thinking about the history of colonialism and what it's done to different countries. And, you know, Alok is speaking specifically about India and the amount of genders that exist there. And, you know, this idea that all of these white settlers came into different countries and basically started making laws that, um, and I know I'm not going to sound anywhere near (laughs) as amazing as a loke, um, but I started making all of these laws that created a space where anything outside of this gender binary of male and female really became undesirable and sometimes, and well, I guess I should say oftentimes, um, criminalized and, you know, experiencing violence. Um, Thinking of the amount of racism that's behind that to go into different countries and use power to convert an entire culture into something that creates violence because of this binary and this duality of of making one thing against another and is I mean that's racism and that's racism you know across the globe that has happened and not just in India and lots of different cultures even right here in the United States that's what happened to indigenous people when (laughs) white settlers came and did the same exact thing here in the United States and so you know I think we're in this space that you know Alok was saying a lot of like white progressive people are like, oh, cool. We have all these, like, this is new. We have these new (laughs) gender identities. Yeah. We're just doing this thing. It's super hip. And it's like, no, this is like how it's been. And then white colonialists 
colonialists came in and like created this really awful thing that now people are recognizing that oh this isn't this isn't actually how it is there's actually lots of genders and how do we like break out of this binary that's causing violence and I think that's like a huge a huge thing and it's a huge intersect that there's just so much around well and I think for me the learning too came in especially with how to be an anti-racist I think that podcast with the and what a does ties deeply into what Ibram Kendi's talking about around white people getting to set the definitions, right? Like we're like, oh, you're now you're gender non-conforming and we have all these terms and we can put it on our forms as this new thing when we historically stripped entire cultures of their gender practices, their gender options and experience denied it hacked them in terms of like criminalizing them, being violent, murdering them. And now we get to say we created this term and this idea. And, you know, I think we continue to be in a space where we are as white people and in particular white activists, where we are setting the definitions for these new things that um, aren't new at all and is directly tied to ongoing colonization and racist practices. And, yes, so, yes, yes. and so that like really pisses me off first of all um and it's super gross it's super gross and like also I think we're in this place too where like people are like oh it's an LGBTQ issue it's a it's also a racism issue right yeah. we're we're absolutely practicing racism when we're redefining an entire set of cultural norms into something totally different Mm-hmm. that's a racism yeah well and it's one of those really overwhelming things where you go like even what you just said in terms of <laughs> then we put it on forms right so you have this white supremacist thing where it's this whole society and system set up around different ways of defining things that you can't break out of right there's not a whole lot that we as individuals can do to make those things completely different. But one of the things that Ibram Kennedy says is that every single person actually has the power to protest racist and anti-racist policies to advance them or in some small way to stall them, mm. which mm. I really like, you know, but, it, but it's this interesting thing of like, okay, so genders are defined. They're defined on our license. They're defined in insurance companies. <laughs> there's so many things that have to like match up in order for us to actually like use the system that we need in order to survive which is crazy and so how do we be in the space of figuring out how to dismantle these systems that actually truly are not that old which is the craziest thing I feel like that was one of the the big takeaways too is that all of this stuff is really really not that old <laughs> the amount of like destruction that white colonialists colonialists have done <laughs> in you know however many centuries is is mind-boggling which is upsetting because that's how powerful it is yeah and one of the things I know this is going to sound like weird but one of the things I've been thinking about the most and it's probably because I'm locked out of my account <laughs> but it's a big deal is Amazon. 
And we're all kind of sitting in this space where it's like, oh, Amazon's taking over the world. Ha ha ha. It's not funny. But Amazon is taking over the world. And it's not funny. Yeah. And it's not funny. And it's run by, headed by a white man. They have their own healthcare inside of Amazon. They're doing all these like terrible things in terms of, you know, how they treat employees. And yet we're all in this space where somehow it feels as though we need it or we're dependent on it. Like I'm sitting here being like, okay, like how am I going to get Christmas gifts, which (laughs) that's its own thing, but how am I going to get Christmas gifts for my niece and nephew that I need to like deliver if I can't get into my Amazon account? It's just like, Amazon didn't even exist however long ago and now I'm in the space of how do I use this like very like capitalist company to do this thing that's like supposed to be good but the company itself is bad and how do we make intentional choices to try to dismantle a system that feels like a giant and I think it's just because that's like a very small thing that it feels like I can have some sort of choice around within this giant system. And there's so, you know, I was talking, we were both talking to somebody yesterday, but I was talking to somebody yesterday. What they were saying was like, I just want to know as much as you, like all the like facts that you know. And I was like, it's, it has nothing to do with facts. It has to do with how you think about what you're thinking about. And I think that this book really gave me a lot of context to think about what I'm thinking about. And I often find myself in a space where I'm like evaluating what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, because I have the skills from this book to really begin to think about that. You're not going to retain every part of this book or every part of this movement. And like Adrian Marie Brown says, it, you don't have to do everything, right? You don't have to be everything all the time. But if you can engage with this idea uh, and this like practice, even if you just think about it, how can I be more anti-racist today? Mm -hmm. Even if you can't do it every moment, this at least gives you some tools to think about how you're thinking. Yes. Which led me to, led me to this too, and to you. Is blank a feminist issue? What are we leaving out of that? What is not working about that? What about that is practicing racism? how do we get people in the door? How do we get people to understand things? There's just a lot. And I would love to hear like listener feedback too, if people want to want to share what they think, but you know, you and I need to like constantly evaluate what we're doing. Yes, we do. (laughs) And I don't know the answer to that. You know, I don't, I don't know. Cause I remember when we did, I think it was our first episode where we decided that we wanted to talk about what our definitions of feminism were. And I feel like when we were in that space, we were talking about it really in a way that encompasses everything. And so part of me just thinks, how do we stay truer to a broader definition or a more inclusive definition? I think maybe one of the things that I've noticed or that I've felt is like, specifically in thinking of this gender binary concept, like how much are we talking about men versus women or the male experience versus the male experience and leaving out, you know, 
all these other identities that don't fall within that binary. And if we're coming from a perspective of there's as many genders as there are people, you know, and I think it's complicated because we still exist in a world where <clears throat> we use language to describe and define things. And so if we don't have language for all of the different things, it's, it makes it hard to have those conversations and figure out what kind of language to use. Well, and I think to that point, Adrienne Marie Brown, and I know listeners, you're like, okay, I don't know who this person is and maybe you do, but like, we're also going to get there. And this is a person you need to know. So I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I literally don't care. You need to Google her after this. But you know, what Adrienne Marie Brown talks about is like, we need to be coming up with new words. Yeah. And, and I don't know that you and I are the people to do that as white educated women. Should we be setting definitions? No, but you know, how do we participate in that conversation around what is it that we're doing and why and patriarchy and preferential treatment for masculine features, identities, and behaviors is real. That is real. And I really appreciate what Alok says in what feminine part of you had to die to make it in this world. And that applies to every person. That's not just people who have, a, you know, a feminine part. Everybody has a feminine part of them, right? And so how do we begin to, to be more inclusive to maybe a person's experience where they identify as male, but they had to cut off this entire part of their interest or their preference or their sexual preference to, you know, fit into this heteronormative world, right? And they can't talk about things. So... I think there's a lot more that we need to think about in terms of is blank a feminist issue? Because going back to that definition part, really it's a human rights issue. Which brings it right back to where we started for International Human Rights Day. And I freaking told the listeners, it's all gonna connect. <laughs> you did. <laughs> you made it happen. That's right. Human rights are real. Human rights are real. Um, human rights are real. COVID is real. COVID is real. Well, I was just going to say, and for our next episode, I'm excited because we're going to be talking about menstruation. <laughs> That's right. I know. I'm so, I'm so excited about that. But can I say this other thing really yeah. quickly? Because it relates to our COVID episode. Um, a COVID vaccine is a human rights issue. Absolutely. And can I tell you something I learned today? Um, yes. <laughs> it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. I learned that the United States of America purchased three times the needed, like we could vaccinate everybody three times over. That's how much we've purchased. And countries who have like no financial ability to purchase that much aren't going to get it or like can't get it. That's gross. That is so gross. So that's racism. That is it's a human rights issue and it's a capitalist issue and can I just like say I don't even know what to say <laughs> can I just say this other thing um when I was in school I had to take I say had but I got to take this human rights class hmm. um as part of my social work education and really what I took away from that class is that the United States just like doesn't have to participate in human rights stuff yes and I feel like that's, we just elect, we're just like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that though. 
which is crazy because when you look at the, um, I need to like say the actual name of it, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is why human, International Human Rights Day exists, this is the day that it was adopted into law. It's legally binding and it's international human rights and it's for the United Nations, which is 193 countries out of 195. And the United States is a part of that. <laughs> and looking through it, it's just, it's crazy. There's, there's so much in there that I'm like, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. <laughs> like, we just don't, we just don't do it. We continue to tell the UN that we have like state laws that protect people, yet we have trans women of color being murdered at extremely high rates. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so we have people who are in prison who are experiencing absolute human rights crises at every moment that they're alive in prisons. Mm -hmm. And the United States continues to not ratify, sign, or put into law parts of the human rights convention and declaration and I think you know just continuing to tie all of that together is absolutely related to racism absolutely related to patriarchy and continuing and advancing people's monetary gain over human rights agreed support people going forward (laughs) that's a lot that is a lot that's a lot to take in and you're all doing amazing and you know what listeners and like I just want to be transparent you and I have had like 10 conversations before we got to this podcast yes and part of me really wants to channel Adrian Marie Brown <laughs> why wouldn't you I know but I'm going to talk about the footnote on her first page come on girl get it because you want to know how we're going to support people and Adrian Marie Brown says that if you're reading her book before you start it you need to have an orgasm if you can. And why does she say that? Uh, because an orgasm a day keeps the doctors away and stressors at bay. <laughs> Is that what she said? Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I really like that you said, if you can, because we yeah. learned last week from Shebop and AJ and Gretchen saying that is not available to everybody yeah so if it's not available to you find another way to find some pleasure after this very intense follow-up episode from our pleasure episode (laughs) and next week we are going to talk about menstruation and menstrual equity and is that a human rights or feminist issue bbd And I just want to say before we like lose any of our non-menstruating listeners, this is for you. No, it's like actually like the entire thing is for you. So if you're like, ew, I don't want to talk about menstruation and I'm not listening to that episode, think again. Um, Think again and don't think I'm not going to personally call you and ask you if you've listened. (laughs) (laughs) And if I don't know you, I know somebody who knows you. (laughs) Now they ask me. So watch out. So watch out. So we know this was a heavy episode with a lot. And if you haven't read the book and you don't know what we're talking about, it can be a lot. And read it, read it or do like a YouTube or Google it or like talk to somebody about it. Just try to engage with that thinking about how you might be an Mm anti-racist. And tune in next time 
for our episode on menstruation. It's going to be amazing. We're so, so excited. Oh, and we have a guest, Glad Rags. I uh, you know. They're amazing. They're amazing. Kaylin, I'm so proud of you. You're amazing. I'm proud of you. This is important work. It's hard. All right, everybody. Okay, keep raging. And stay safe. Thank you.